You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We'll take a glass together. And we will lift it to the good life. And as we're lifting it, we will most sincerely say, we'll take a glass together. This is Equity One, Broadway's happy hour. Pour yourself a drink and join us as we chat about life, theater, and and everything in between. I'm Elliot Maddox. And I'm Caleb Dickey. Join us for your Equity One. Cheers! Welcome to this week's episode of Equity One. Mm -hmm. Hi, Caleb. Hey, Elliot. How are you doing today? I'm good. It is, of course, November. Um, Sorry about that. You know... At Beetlejuice, we like to celebrate Halloween all year round. 24-7. Right? So our October lasts even past October. And we are so excited to close out our haunting from Beetlejuice with none other than the director, Alex Timbers. Hey, Alex. Hey, guys. How are you doing? So great. great. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, my God. I'm so honored to be on this. This is thrilling. Hey. So exciting. You, You are a busy, busy man with now three shows running on Broadway right now. Isn't that wild? Yeah, it's... It's kind of amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do you keep balance? Do you like, get to check in often? Or are you kind of like... Yeah, I, I go you know, once every couple of weeks to each of them uh-huh. and uh, try to go to understudy rehearsals when it seems like something, you know, when, when I'm invited to. And, yeah. and uh, yeah, I love it. I love all three shows. So I feel very uh, excited about, uh, yeah, this fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we like to start every interview by asking our guests what first got them interested in the arts as a young person. So what first got young Alex interested in the arts? Oh, that's so that's such a great question. You know, I grew up in New York City. I grew up in Manhattan, oh, wow. actually. Okay. So uh, my parents would take me to see, like, Cats, The Secret Garden. I saw Shogun, the famous uh, Shogun. Shogun, S-H-O. The Marquis, I think. So th- those are some of my earliest memories. And... Uh, and I had a school in the city that, you know, every year we would put on the school play. And so I played, you know, in the Nativity Pageant, I played uh, the Angel Gabriel, which was a pretty mm-hmm. choice role. Oh, my God, and yes. And I played a penguin the next year. Love so like, penguins. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that started the whole, uh, you know, the theater bug. Mm-hmm. And you, so you were in these, like, pageants as a young person. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, what, what really excited you about them? Like, what made, what, like, made you bite? Like, what was the most interesting thing to you? Well, you know, I don't think, you know, if you had asked me that, like, I would have said, oh, I want to be a theater, like, director or uh-huh. even an actor back then. Um, it was really, like, for me, I was very interested in, uh, I was interested in the arts, mm-hmm. uh, but 
it was really seeing like Tommy when I was 15. Yeah. That I was yeah, like, yeah. oh, wow. Like, because I just sort of like, you know, as a young kid who like listens to, uh, you know, like uh, like hip hop and like, you know, and like likes to go see like foreign yeah. films and stuff as a little sure. kid. <laughs> you're, like, you're not like totally like watching Broadway being like, okay, I like totally get how I. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then it was something how seeing like, uh, seeing Tommy and being like, okay, here's a musical that's in dialogue with, you know, it wasn't like contemporary music, but like mm-hmm. the sort of music you might hear on the radio and had music video visuals and I uh, felt like deeply emotional and visceral. And I was like, okay, you know, the, the door cracked open for me a little bit in terms of saying like, I, I kind of see how, uh, you know, I understand the, the, the like vibrancy and vitality of theater in a, in a, in a sort of new way. Mm-hmm. Sure, and and I'm sure that came especially like being surrounded by so much theater as a young person. Like, but the kind of theater that is Cats in the Secret Garden, like mm-hmm. something like Tommy, is such a different like avenue into what we do. Because I feel especially like you know me myself growing up far away from the city, even seeing the big kind of like traditional things was like what the, the, what is that? Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that that different perspective on it was your your gateway in. Yeah, and I, I think I like more and more now, like when I look at like Beetlejuice and I look at Moulin Rouge, I see also kind of like something I might have taken a little for granted about Broadway, which was sort of like when we think about Cats and the Winter Garden, that kind of transporting element of walking through the theater doors and not even waiting for the curtain to go up to feel like you've stepped into like a, world. a magical yeah. land of imagination mm-hmm. that's not like the Times Square outside of the doors. And so I think that that was something clearly that was like really influential, but I probably couldn't articulate even until this year. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what kept you going? Like, so you just saw uh, Tommy and then like, did you decide to go to college or what was your path deciding on where to go? Okay, so this is strange. I was very into TV and like video and film stuff. Uh-huh. Like I made a little movie when I was like uh, 12 and I had a public access TV show with my friends when I was 12 and 13 and uh, in New York City. And it was a crazy show. Like we had- a Yeah, we need to hear about it. Yeah, yeah. We had a segment every <laughs> week, like for example, that was called Pyro Time, where we went down to Chinatown and got like a dead fish and some like uh, M80s and blew up the fish, uh, <laughs> would play Carmina Burana over it and then play it back in slow-mo and have Chirons coming up with this Pyro Time exclamation point. Things like that restaurant reviews where little Alex would pop up with a sign that said good food question mark outside the window of a restaurant and get, you know, sort of like, uh, Amazing. Know, visceral reactions. Sure. I love that. Uh, so, 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 that <laughs> so that was the start of, you know, the like, you know, it was complete idiocy. Uh, and then I went to high school in Illinois uh, uh, in a suburb out of Chicago. And they weirdly had like a three, three camera studio. They had like a, you know, oh, all this. It was really. Uh, it was, it was like an amazing setup uh, at the school. And so I kept continuing with that. I had a public access TV show there. And I went to college really thinking about film mm-hmm. and like yeah. pursuing that. And when I went to college, uh, this sounds like so sort of like pedestrian and stri- but like I, they, you had to take all these classes to get to use the camera and the stuff that sure. we already knew. So I was like, how can I actually make things from day one? And so that's when I started doing improv and sketch comedy. And that quickly led into a sort of a fascination 
with, you know, as like a comedy nerd, which I think we mm-hmm. all like under, mm-hmm. understand that, like being like, okay, so how does comedy work? And like the mechanics of comedy. So at the end of my first year of college, I directed a farce for the first time. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the next year I directed another farce. And I was like, I like it. You know, and then yeah. I directed yeah. like a drama and then eventually uh, a musical. And so that was sort of, so it was really comedy that was the gateway back into theater, which I pursued when I was a little kid. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense. And that's, that's, um, I think we're all kind of always searching for that, like immediacy mm-hmm. as like creative people, like, especially in an educational environment, yes. like where you're learning about technical things, but you really just want to like do Jump it. Do it. Yeah. 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 But I did, I, you know, something really like a kind of pivotal moment that I think you guys might find funny, mm-hmm. uh, uh, was there was a, I had a, 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 I took a class in experimental theater. And uh-huh. I knew nothing about experimental theater. Yeah, I grew up in New York, but like could not be for the, you know, yeah, that was not sure. like what, we weren't going to St. Anne's Warehouse. Yeah, right, right. And we had this little like monitor where the professor had these bootleg tapes of like the Worcester Group and mm-hmm. like Peter Brook and things mm-hmm. like that. And we would watch these little bit, and we all just thought this was ridiculous. The, you know, experimental theater yeah. in New York was just like, so you know, so like, so, you know, uh, navel gazing and like mm-hmm. self-serious. And, uh, and so I created a little like theater group with three of my friends where we put on a dance piece that was influenced by what we knew through our filtered knowledge, which was no knowledge, uh-huh. of <laughs> early BAM next wave festival, like Einstein and okay. the Beach 1984 okay. like era, sure. like what we thought this was. And so we, it was four of us and we told the history of, it was called in Pièce de Miss P.S. de Mouvement Historique avec la Geometry. And it was... Because I'm uh, tight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, were, we were the descendants of Le Corbusier, and we were telling the story of math, and like it had like Copernicus in it and Stephen uh-huh. Hawking. Yeah. There was a whole segment about Thomas Jefferson. No words. Uh, all Steve Reich, Philip Glass music, gestural choreography. You had a, a course packet. So the piece itself was like 30 minutes, but you would have to get there an hour early because there was a reading period where you would have to read the the outline of what was happening because yeah. otherwise you'd be mystified. Lost. You probably yeah. still were mystified. There, were <laughs> there was a section of the packet where there were primary sources you could read yeah. about, you know, and then there was a package of blank pages at the end so you could take notes while you were watching it. And we put on this piece and it was so like dumb and enchanting and i got really into this idea of like how do you take like academia and history how do you celebrate it but also lampoon it? how do you yeah. do that the same for experimental theater tropes and then so the, the the punchline of this is i come to new york and i actually go see these things that we're talking about I go sure. see the and i realize oh wow these people actually have a great sense of humor about it and there's like a live th- th- yeah. this stuff's brilliant mm-hmm. and yeah. I'm like a total dope for thinking it was silly and not understanding like the context of which the perform- and uh, and so then of course I created a, a, a experimental theater group called Les Frères Corbusier which simultaneously had a name that sounded very pretentious but when you think about it it's really dumb and that became sort of my path in the city when I yeah. graduated yeah one that you—that's where you did the um, the Scientology pageant yes. show, right? And you kind of made this name for yourself as this like downtown kind of director. And what what was your path into getting into doing something like as commercially Broadway as like Beetlejuice and Moulin Rouge? Like, well, it actually comes back to Beetlejuice. It's kind of interesting. Okay. So uh, I was doing these shows. I love this theater company that no longer exists called Adobe Theater Company. Mm-hmm. And it had this 
slogan, downtown theater with an uptown sensibility. Mm -hmm. And so I've always loved that, like the collision of like what is like commercial experimental because, and I can go on and on about it, but I, I do think that commercial theater and experimental theater actually have a lot more in common than theater that exists between them. Yeah. Um, and, but I, uh, but so even when I was doing like a head of gabbler with live robots and things like that, sure. head of Tron, you know, it was always, it was always, there was a sort of populist sensibility about them. And one of the people I got to work with um, was this woman, Nina Hellman, who's an amazing actress. Um, you probably, movies and TV shows, a Broadway and everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, we did a couple of shows together and her husband uh, it was Jeremy Seamus, the actor. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we were doing, I think it was actually Hedatron, and they were working on a show called Gutenberg, Jeremy and Chris Fitzgerald, mm -hmm. um, about these kind of like two idiot musical theater writers who don't really know much about musicals, and they've written a Les Mis-style musical about Gut Johann Gutenberg, uh -huh. yeah. uh, but only have a like kind of a Wikipedia page's worth of information. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> um, and that was written by Anthony King and Scott Brown, who wrote mm -hmm. the, the book for Beetlejuice, and they, they wrote book music lyrics on that. And uh, so Jeremy ended up uh, being the sort of entree to like being hired on this thing, which was a commercial theater piece. Mm -hmm. And then I, cr I had been working with my company on something called Blay Blay Andrew Jackson, which was like its emo president thing. And uh, through that and through this immersive haunted house, Hell House, I got sort of hooked up with the with Pee Wee Herman, mm -hmm. sort of the Pee Wee Herman show. So those yeah. were really like, and then Andrew Jackson became a commercial show. So mm -hmm. it sort of was definitely like straight from all the kind of like, kind of bizarro downtown stuff was the path to uh, creating commercial theater. That was never like what I, you know, like set out to do. Sure. But I, you know, but was excited when I was like, oh, there's a place for uh, my kind of like strange voice in that world. Maybe there's a usefulness for it too, you yeah. know, in, in, on certain projects. So that, that was kind of, it kind of happened organically. Yeah. But is there ever a moment where you're like, I really don't want this to get any bigger? Like you love the world that it's in, the small space, small houses, and you're like, I really like it doesn't belong commercially further. Do you ever feel that way about shows or is it like? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that there are certain shows that, you know, really like, you know, exist best in a 75 seat theater. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. I did this show um, after I did Rocky, mm -hmm. which was, you know, like a really large scale show. Very I was like, yeah. I want to yeah. do something tiny. And I'd always loved this uh, show that I worked on with um, Michael Friedman uh, and uh, Sean Cunningham. And it was about Herbert Hoover. And it was sort of like Herbert Hoover mounting a comeback. So it was like Herbert Hoover meets in the idiom of the 1968 Elvis comeback special. Okay. And <laughs> Uh, and we were like, you know, this is really dramaturgically like wild and down yeah. and dirty yeah. and naughty. And like, so we we rented out this theater uh, at the Abrams Art Center. Mm -hmm. And Abrams Art Center has three theaters. They have like a really beautiful theater. They have like a kind of nice theater. And then they have a theater that is like a concrete bunker which <laughs> water yeah. drips into. Uh, <laughs> we love it. We'll take it. Yeah. And I was like, we want that one. <laughs> so we did that. We like, you know, we charged almost nothing. We gave you a beer when you came in. You know, yeah. I don't yeah. even know if there was a program and uh and so it was really all you know it's like a it's a hike from the train and we really were like this is wants to be a tiny tiny mm -hmm. strange thing and mm -hmm. you know and, and artistically it was really fulfilling but it, what was funny about it because michael had worked on it and some other like sort of you know just great artists 
uh, who had also happened to work uptown, worked on it. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of people who were like, so I don't know if this feels like a Broadway show. And you're like, like well, yeah, it's not no supposed shit. to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the bucket you stepped over catching rainwater <laughs> as you went into the theater, like, was that giving you a different indication of our hopes? <laughs> so uh, so it's, it's funny you say that because I totally do think that. And But I also now think a little bit about what are people's um, expectations. Yeah, uh -huh. How do you frame mm -hmm. that so that... You, it's really uh, consciously and purposefully uh, for the space it is. Yeah. You know, yeah. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. yeah. No, absolutely. And I think talking about the space that you're in, I think something that like we know from like, you know, we saw, we got last minute tickets to like Here Lies Love, our first oh, yeah, at the oh, year in yeah, the city and like it. taking shots and just like <laughs> a, such a yeah. good time. From, from that to something like Beetlejuice and Moulin Rouge where you walk in and you're immediately immersed. I think I think it's such a it's such an important thing and I think it's kind of like kind of a signature of the kind of projects you do. What is that process like when you're thinking about what kind of atmosphere you want the audience to walk in right away and talk about the collaboration that happens there with um with the design team and everything. Yeah, for, totally. for the pre-show as, you know, in addition to the actual the show. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I, I definitely think, you know, as an audience member, like I want to, you know, and as a director, you're, you're going to set your audience up best for, you know, how to experience the show by how they walk into the space w when they first come in. So whether that's, and that might be about the venue, that might be about like the drippy concrete yeah. bunker, or yeah. that might be being at the Winter Garden, which is as far mm -hmm. away from that as possible. But I think that certain shows, particularly certain shows that are really visually transporting, if you, and, and like have a, a sense of world creation, I think if it feels organic to it, it is helpful to think about it as you're yeah. walking in the mm -hmm. space. So for something like Moulin Rouge, I think it's it you know it becomes really organic to say like okay like even though the movie starts in England and everything, mm -hmm. the on, the theatrical envelope of the show is the club. Right. We want to start uh -huh. and end in the club. We are not saying like the club is behind a curtain. It is you are walking yeah. in and yeah. that you're experiencing it, and so uh, that leads you to make really you know like certain decisions about. Uh, the the you know what's what's going on visually and then in ter terms of the 360 interior uh, environment but also the music and any action and with Beetlejuice I think we were saying you know like how do you create a kind of like uh, you know Burton funscape that doesn't feel like exactly like the movie but mm -hmm. feels kind of uh, like a kind of crazy like bent carnival yeah. like yeah. and has like the hot neon mm -hmm. and the like and so that was really led us to a lot of decisions about um you know like what what is the pre-show look what is the pre-show music um and what is the yeah what's what's the vibe and energy i also you know two things that have become really important is that you know people uh like when they come to beetlejuice they take a photo of that proscenium yeah. and they take a photo of their program um, and so, you know, on Beetlejuice, when we were in tech, we cued, you know, we, we cued the lights to what does it look like on your camera, when sure. you're on your iPhone. It's because smart. Like, it's, that's the market. That's commercial. That, yeah. yeah. And that's the way it's going to be shared. And that's the way you, your moment, one, you know, a yeah. memento you take away. And sure. so, uh, and you want the memory to be as rich as the actual experience. Um, something we did on, on Here Lies Love that I, you know, I really loved. And because all three of these shows have worked with a music producer named Matt Stein mm -hmm. to help create these kind of pre-show, post-show mm -hmm. things. I had this thought that 
you know, we don't really do overtures that much on many musicals. And yeah. so, uh, but particularly when you're dealing with like pop music, like how, is there a way to get like the hooks in your ear if it's an original score beforehand? Moulin Rouge, you don't have any problem with that. You know the music. Sure. Yeah. But, uh, and so one of the fun things that we worked with on Here Lies Love that I was particularly sort of, I thought was clever and proud of, is we made this sort of like DJ mix, you know, Kelvin Moonlo was uh -huh. like, you know, you know, sp spinning fake records. But he took like, you know, four to six of the kind of the hits from the show right. mm -hmm. and he made this, you know, he took the stems from the recording sessions that David uh, did and like, and made this pre-show. So when those, you know, subliminally they're in your ear. Sure. Yeah. And then when those songs come into the show, you're like, Oh shit! This feels like familiar, uh -huh. and, and so I, 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 like I thought that was a clever way of taking what the a, a traditional musical like the overture does, and like infusing it into the pre-show environment. So sort of, so all these things are not about like glitz or glamour. It's about just setting up the story and the music and the actors for success. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. So that when the show proper starts, we're like teed up. We're all on board. We're on the same page. Yeah. Absolutely. We're ready for the ride. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is so cool about Here Lies Love because especially in that, you know, we're the audience is in it. You know, we're in the middle of it, yeah. shifting with the with the show to like feel at ease just by like something as subliminal as like hearing a melody that we have already heard. Yeah. That's interesting. How does it work when you cause that production went to Seattle mm -hmm. and how did it work? Was it on a proscenium stage out there? So how do you that's a great question. Yeah. This this one's gonna be pretty tricky to describe. Even if I could diagram it, it'd be yeah. tricky to describe. But, <laughs> yeah. but basically, what we wanted to do because we we keep looking for a future for Here Lies Love because yeah. we love it and people get you know. So, so we, good. we were like, okay, well, as a next step, next step in the iterative process, and hopefully there'll be many more coming. Well, we wanted to see how could this work in a more traditional theater. How does it not have to work in a warehouse space? Yeah. Or how can it work in a, like a place that has a box office and a thing, toilets that are right and. Um, uh, and so we did, we worked on uh, a new idea, which was preserving a lot of the staging ideas, but had the brilliant David Corns, who also did the set for uh, for uh, Beetlejuice, and he had this idea, of sort of like platforming over the orchestra mm -hmm. and creating the kind of box, kind of like lengthwise within the proscenium, going to the back wall all the way up to the uh, the balcony line. So creating that, making that the room, and then the entire balcony. Uh, in the theater ends up being almost on eye line with the actors, so that becomes like orchestra seating. So mm -hmm. it ended up creating a way of like preserving the kind of production we had at the public and the national theater, but growing the audience size to like you know, you know like fourfold. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. So it was really uh, you know as as an artistic uh, you know uh, process, it was great, but also it's like a kind of proof of concept of how mm -hmm. how you can sort of marry the worlds of proscenium and non proscenium. It was. Really exciting. Yeah. yeah. It'll be exciting to see how um, Moulin Rouge opens on the road and in different cities and mm -hmm. how you like try and incorporate all of them. And yeah, see we're, how in it the, works. we're in it right now. Yeah. yeah. So, we're yeah. in the process right now. So I'm excited too. Yeah. 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 Um, I want to talk about a lot of like a lot of actors listen to our podcast. Amazing. And um, I think that, you know, everyone's kind of like, there's this mystique of like, these different worlds, like these other sides of the table, right? Sure. Um, what to you in an audition setting is exciting to you? Like what makes your ears perk up when you're sitting in a, in a day hearing people do often the same material over and over again? What is something that like catches you? 
Well, I, I think I, I have a couple of sort of thoughts about this. One, I think it's really important that uh, the performers sort of their approach to the material is something that feels very personal and individual to them mm -hmm. that reflects something they'd be excited about. I remember reading something, uh, the story of Carol Channing, who would, uh, you know, sort of like as she, w when she was a huge star, she'd be like, uh, even if it's an offer, I want to audition for it because I want to show <laughs> them what I plan to do. Sure. Uh, and uh, I love that. I love people that come in, like Kelvin Moonlow, when he came in for Otho on Beetlejuice, he had a really strong approach to it and like really put his own stamp on it. And mm -hmm. it was thrilling. Mm -hmm. And he was like, this is what I'd like to do with the role. And, you know, and, and, and you know, he's collaborative and, you know, you can have a, a noting process within the room sure. or not. But like, uh, but so I think that's important is to always remember that, uh, uh, you know, it's not about trying to fit into a mold of what other people want for you, but to bring your own self to it. Mm -hmm. I would say an another thing that's really helpful um, is when an actor comes in and knows exactly what they plan to do. Like when I go in for a pitch, mm -hmm. I'm like imagining to myself, okay, uh, you know, this person's gonna be on that side, this gonna be that. I'm gonna start by talking about this, and then I'm gonna talk about the feel and the tone and mm -hmm. the this and the other, and I have it all planned. Now, it can go a thousand different ways, yeah, and sure. people can like ask you questions, and it could, but like I sort of have like a, a plan. And I think it's so wonderful, like when you, you're seeing like 60 actors in a day, when an actor comes in and says, you know, says, hello, hi, how are mm -hmm. you? Goes over to the piano, speaks to the, you know, the pianist and says, here's what I'm doing, does it, and then says, you know, which side would you like me to read? You know, it's just, it's, sure. it's uh -huh. really thrilling to like just take the agency in the room as the actor. And and we, you know, as a director, and maybe I only speak for me, but I love it when the actor comes in and says, okay, I know I have 10, 15 minutes, here's my plan, and mm -hmm. here it is. Uh, and then the final thing that I, I think is always really important to stress is that, you know, uh, because, you know, I've, I've, you know, I felt it as, you know, someone going into like audition in the ways that directors audition for things. Uh -huh. People want you to succeed. Yeah. People on the other side of the table, it makes the director's life so much easier if you come in and just like knock it out of the park. Sure. Uh, I, it would truly be a sadist who's like, Elliot Maddox comes <laughs> into my room, I hope he fails and does <laughs> a bad job and screws up all the lines. Like that's just it's not true. So I think if it's if it's I think it's a helpful thing to keep in the back of your mind. The person on the other side of the table or the people on the other side of the table are rooting for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nothing's worse than sitting all day hearing something bad, right? That's why you're not like you don't want to hear like bad things all day. Like you're not hoping for that. Yeah, I yeah, think you're exactly hoping yeah. like everyone's going to be awesome and everyone has a positive experience. Exactly, you're yeah. never rooting for someone to have like a negative experience in your no. audition yeah. room. I read a study like that. Uh, uh, you know, everyone feels uh, uh, more like comfortable if make uh, human contact. So mm -hmm. if I don't have a cold, I will always go across the room and shake the person's shake hand. hands. Yeah, it's just, yep. it's just like it just. Takes the, anything I can do is I don't usually eat the day I have. A, I'm so nervous for the other people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get to the end of like six o'clock and you're in wrap up and I'm like, oh my god, what's that? <laughs> I, like scarfing down an energy bar because I'm so nervous for everyone. I, you know, I could sure. just want everyone <laughs> to win. You know, successful. So uh, yeah. Um, I kind of want to talk about like your um, your kind of crossover moments with uh, film and theater, mm -hmm. like these kind of you know specials that you've directed that sure. are, um, you know, something like Oh Hello that's directed for stage and then is going to be filmed something like um, John Mulaney's special sure, or yeah. mm -hmm. um, upcoming, can we announce that? Is that yeah, yeah, announceable? Yeah, yeah, sure. Or upcoming, uh, you're directing Ben Platt's Netflix special. What is the, 
what are the challenges there, like of having something be a live event that is also kind of curated for film, especially if it's Oh Hello, where it's something that's directed to be experienced live that is also being translated into... Yeah, well, you know, the OLO experience is diff- a little different from, like, the John Mulaney experience because mm-hmm. OLO had this wonderfully talented director who came in and actually shot it. Oh, okay. So, like, I collaborated on it, but it really was, you know, the, the, the fellow captured it and did a great, very creative job on it. On the on the John Mulaney stand-up special, what was so wonderful about that was he sort of, he knew he wanted to capture, his, you know, that the, sort of the tour he had been doing, but, mm-hmm. ha- you know, wanted... Um, uh, to sort of enhance the production value, he knew he was doing these like uh, seven shows at Radio City. Seven shows at Radio City. So yeah. Wow, wow. That he, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of people. I mean, he's just the most remarkable artist. And like you know, and and what was really unique about that, as opposed to a lot of the things where you're capturing something that exists that wasn't designed for you know the camera and for hiding mm-hmm. cameras and stuff like that, was we really got went through the process with with John and with Scott Pask, uh, the set designer, and Jake DeGroote, who did uh, the fabulous lighting, and really kind of thought about it for camera, you know, mm-hmm. like balance all the levels for camera, like thought about where, you know, we had this wonderful uh, DP, Cameron Barnett, and he thought about, like, he's like, I want a stealth cam here, and a this, or there, and, yeah. then, and mm-hmm. then we baked that all into it. So th- that was a really satisfying and gratifying experience because it wasn't only – uh, you know, John had, you know, I, I'm not a stand-up special director. There are like a hundred people that you could hire that would be way better. That, But John was like, I want to create a theatrical, like a theatrical. St-. So he's like, I want to have like theater, you know, mm-hmm, so we brought sure. in the Oh Hello team. And, uh, and, and so it was really gratifying because not only artistically did I feel terrific about, but we really got to think of both sides of the equation simultaneously. Mm-hmm. So uh, to me, that's the kind of thing that's satisfying. That's the kind of thing that's really interesting. And when I look back at things like, uh, you know, like Liza with a Z and things like sure. that, that kind that's, you know, I, I, do, I don't think I would be very good to like, you know, direct the like. Uh, like you know, capture of Radiohead or something, uh-huh. but like you know, <laughs> where, where where performers are like interested in that line between where where this other idiom, whatever idiom mm-hmm. they work in, whether it's music or comedy or you know whatnot, and theater sort of coexists. And how do you capture that in a way that feels like it bashes through the proscenium mm-hmm. and feels live? I mean, that to me is interesting. I, I I'm not saying I have like any experience or particularly good at it, but I think that that more and more we're going to see that. Yeah. And I think there more and more that's becoming an area of interest. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, I think it's going to be really thrilling to see in five years where, where that investigation lies. TV, yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. Especially, I just don't add that spectrum is putting out content now, like an internet company is putting out like original works. Like the uh, imagine really? in five years, things are going to be crazy with like what we can view and see. So having like, an eye for that is going to be so important. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I'm sure though, people are going to really specialize in like, how do you take a play or a musical and how do you try to, you know, do your, you know, you never, it's never going to be the same as being in the room, but how mm-hmm. do you approximate that in a way? You know, and I, I bet you people eventually start doing what we're talking about. Like when they, they know they're going to eventually film the play and the musical and from the outset they design the thing for them. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Well, uh, and everything you kind of talked about, you, they're talking about like this collaboration that mm-hmm. these things are like the the sum of their parts, really. And um, I think that a lot of times people don't necessarily see like 
that how collaborative theater is. Like I think they see a lot of like separate parts as like designers and the creative team and the the actors. Mm -hmm. um, what are that's the best part of theater? Is yes, the collaborative yeah. quality. So that yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that I talk about kind of like what are the what are the the um, the best parts of collaboration. Obviously, the best parts of collaboration are like working together on things. But yes, and then. Um, Talk about like for people who might be aspiring directors, people like that that are going to need to collaborate. Talk about what you might pass on as as advice. Absolutely. So you know, I I think I mentioned this actually on Beetlejuice when we started Tech in New York uh -huh. or in DC. I, tech is one of my favorite times in the process, and Mine the reason too. is <laughs> it's obviously a stressful time. But you know, one of the things that one of the reasons I love it is because. Often the director works with the designers, you know, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that's happens in a bubble. And then the director and the choreographer and everyone work with the actors. Mm -hmm. And then tech is the time when the actors and the designers and everyone are finally in the same room yeah. together. Yeah. And that's thrilling to me because that's all the collaborators are there giving, you know, feedback on each other's mm -hmm. work all at once. And so I feel like um, uh, that sort of like, uh, you know, knocking down the kind of barriers and walls between sure. who can speak to who and like, uh, I, I, there's the weird power dynamics that happen. I think as a as you know as a, like a leader of my little team when you silo groups and don't allow them to talk to each other. So I love the the idea of being able to like share information, talk about things. I think you know that that sort of improv technique of yes and is the best thing in the world. Yeah. Like being able to accept someone's idea and then say. And also, what if we did this uh -huh. and marrying ideas? Um, you know, like I look at uh, Brightman's performance as Beetlejuice. Like, what would it be if if uh, Alex Brightman hadn't at every point in the process been a part of, like, I think the wigs should be like this, or I think the... Sure. Yeah. You know, the, it, 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 like, the thing is what it is because he's a part of it, and he helped, like, pitch lines and he, you know and yeah. and Anthony and Scott and Eddie were interested in what mm -hmm. you know and every right. and the thing I think is is rich because it's amalgamation of a lot of creativity and it feels very personal to Alex and it feels very personal to the writers and it feels very personal to me and um, and I think that that's that's the the to me that's what like I aspire to and like what gets me excited every morning mm -hmm. I wrote I was a writer like for a little bit mm -hmm. I, I you know and I, I really revere writers but for me I found it uh, I found it wasn't a good match for my personality because like I wanted like I wanted that moment of like oh my god what are we gonna do uh, hey I'm gonna tag you guys in what, what are your thoughts yeah. like, well, uh, okay we need a thing here like I know this is an issue like what and the music uh -huh. director raises their hand they're like well I've got an idea yeah you know yeah. And, and that to me is like so exciting um, uh, uh, and that's and, and I think musical theater is uh, in some ways, as far as my limited experiences, is one of the, the thing that demands and rewards the most uh, collaboration. Yeah, because there's so many elements. There's so many aspects to what we're doing. Like, you, Just, you can be like, I want this light on stage, but then the lighting designer can be like, well, I can do that light and give you this to really complete yeah. your visions. So you're mm -hmm. like, yes, that's it. Yeah. So yeah, there's no, so, you can't I mean, do it alone. Maybe yeah. someone could say this, but I, I could not argue for like a tour theory being like in any way applicable to musical theater. The best things are made by a group of people who have a shared vision mm -hmm. who keep like improving the thing until you, you know, until 
the show closes. And because, mm-hmm. you know, my work is done at opening, but then you guys as performers, you keep developing it and building yeah. it and working mm-hmm. with the crew and the stage managers and it gets richer and richer and, uh, and you know, it, and in some ways, I mean, one could. This might sound uh, saccharine and weird, but I think it's a collaboration with the audience too, because you guys are Absolutely. listening to what yeah. you know, and 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 things evolve, and the show shapes, and uh, 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 sh- you know, shape shifts based on, you know, how the how the show the uh, audience right the audience's yeah. responses, yeah, yeah. 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 Especially in Beetlejuice, where like the audience is really a character. I mean, they're interacting with Alex as Beetlejuice, the mm-hmm. the whole the whole time um, with as much as he breaks the fourth wall in that. Yeah. yeah, and I gotta say, one of the things that's really gratifying about Beetlejuice is there were certain things that, like, I always felt, like, now in our run, like, where I was like, man, I, and I'm not gonna say, but I'm like, I love this moment, or I love this, I just, like, love this song. Like, mm-hmm. and it felt like, yeah, like, that song was sort of landing, or other things were landing bigger, and now it feels like, now that w- there's a sort of, like, uh, portion of the audience are people that are like you know familiar with the thing or sort mm-hmm. of have like self-selected to really yeah. be there it's nice it's rewarding in a way to see like oh that thing like i always loved when eddie first sent the demo uh-huh. yeah like they're kind of like nerding out on that moment yeah, yeah, yeah. You know totally I mean? and i'm sure you mm. see it like yeah. yeah 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 absolutely i mean the the we're kind of like riding this wave right now in the kind of like you know six months into our run of a lot of like you know repeat business the fans are really starting to like take ownership of it in like a really cool way and like the you know that goes along with the themes of the show that bring them there in the first place yes that's right the the outsider the outsider the invisible kind of like finding each other when Mm -hmm. where you least expect it um so it's been a really cool kind of um evolution in the show to to see throughout the the run here with Beetlejuice, I mean, give us kind of a quick rundown on what your your journey with Beetlejuice was. I mean, you you talked about meeting Scott and Anthony on Gutenberg, and then how did the the Beetlejuice seed come oh my to gosh. be so planted? It's been ten years. It's a long since time. The first <laughs> meeting. So so uh, uh, two people. So Mark Hoffman runs the theater. Our two producers, Mark Hoffman, Kevin McCormick, mm-hmm. and Kevin McCormick's a sort of long time. He's produced Burton films. He's worked at Warner Brothers. For a long time, and both of them are big sort of Warner Brothers, uh, like uh, Mukti Mucks, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, amazing producers. And so um, it was about ten years ago. We were talking about doing a different show. I were I was in Kevin's like office, and then we both sort of like came to the conclusion. We we're like, this is not a good idea. Like, uh, you know, so <laughs> sure, we, we, yeah, you know, it's better then than like sh- six yeah. years later yes, when uh-huh. you're like, uh, <laughs> you're like uh, <laughs> and he said, you know, well, what about Beetlejuice? And, um, you know, I said, well, that's interesting. You know, I obviously love the film like so many people. And I went mm-hmm. away and I said, you know, hey, if these came back, I said, if these four things could be true, mm-hmm. I think this could be a really good idea. And these four things couldn't, but we probably shouldn't do it. You know, like, and, yeah. and he, you know, and, and uh, Kevin added another two on top of those. And uh-huh. so, and so they, they were really embracing from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Of, but, but the development process was long. And so I, I think, you know, if that was 2010, maybe Anthony and Scott came on board, uh, you know, a, a year or two after that. Uh, uh, David Corrins actually was the next hire. We went on a long search for the wonderful Eddie Perfect, mm-hmm. who was, 
uh, you know, hiding yeah. out in Australia. He talked about it on the on the uh, podcast. Yeah. So yeah. He sent the opening number in and, mm-hmm. and uh, the Lydia's Want song, and we were like floored by it. We just got, you know, got it as an attachment on an email and <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, respect them. And we were like, they're great. And, but that was probably, I don't know, 2015. So mm-hmm. then we went through a process of, um, you know, meeting up in. Uh, hotel suites in, you know, various cities uh, <laughs> as we were sort of like, as, you know, people were doing different things mm-hmm, in their own, mm-hmm. you know, uh, professional lives and sort of like worked and worked and beat out the story as if it was an original uh, music. And that a lot of that was like Scott Scott and Anthony. And and then uh, in terms of creating that, that structure. Um, and then, uh, and Eddie was wildly selfless, you know, as like, he was like, let's try this song. Let's try this song. Mm-hmm. Let's invert this song. And, uh, eventually we got to a point where we, I think we did a first reading in like, uh, it was either, I think it was December, 2016. And then mm-hmm. we did, uh, another reading in May, 2017. And then we did a first lab and, the fall 2017 yep. and we did another lab in spring 2018 and then we did our out of town in fall 2018 yeah and then along the way you know connor gallagher mm-hmm. and doing dance labs mm-hmm. and chris kukul working on the orchestrations and all these steps that happen in between it but um but but that's sort of the the process of how a big musical gets put together and then you know we we were in dc and and after dc opened i think we all you know actors designers producers uh we all like sort of looked at each other and we thought oh, you know we can make this even better mm-hmm. we can connect more with you and so then instead of everyone taking a little vacation until you know rehearsal started then yeah everyone went immediately to work you yep. know? yeah <laughs> and, uh we worked over the holidays in january we did another lab yep. right and then and then uh and then in, did a reading at the beginning of that and a reading at the end of it and then like a week later start actual rehearsals yep. for broadway so i mean i imagine as a as a performer in this show it must feel like you've been doing this show for you know, 14 months, even yeah, though well, it might and, not look like that well, in the calendar. And, and specifically me, that coming, I've been doing it since that lab in 2017. So it's been That's amazing. T- uh, yeah. two years now yeah. doing Beetlejuice. And it's been really, really interesting to see, like, what the that show is was wild, yeah, right? at Baruch College to what it is now is very different and really exciting. And, uh, yeah, really crazy. Oh my gosh! I went back recently and reread some of those early drafts of the show. <laughs> You're like, oh, well, I mean, the thing is, like, it was totally different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but even but I, someday I've got to share that with you guys because <laughs> Anthony and Scott, uh-huh. I need to send this because it's just so wild. And we we did this thing. Elliot was so generous to do it the other day, which was this um, uh, cut song performance uh-huh, of yeah. like mm-hmm. the score. But what was that like? I mean, like Otho was a completely different person. Yeah, and Lydia had like 18 ballads and like so many songs. <laughs> I know, and so, some of them and I had never Inferno, heard. And yeah. like well, amazing, yeah, and yeah, Boy Infer- did, yeah, Boy Inferno, Inferno. yes, R.I.P. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's something the fans are like. They love. They know it. Like they just know it. The other day we went out. I went out at the stage door. I can't remember what day it was, but it was so cool. The the fans had like little like beat speakers, and they were like playing bootlegs of the show from DC oh, like hilarious. and all like singing along I was like this oh, is this sweet. is really cool. Yeah. But yeah, it's been uh, it's been like a crazy crazy time. And while you were developing that, you were essentially at the exact same timeline doing Moulin Rouge. Yes, yeah. yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So what what is it like balancing two like gigantic Broadway shows? 
at the same time. Well, I feel really lucky to get to work on both because I really, really love them. And uh, uh, the, you know, but the, the intention is not to do two shows at the same time. Sure. You know, it's more akin to like you, you have these planes that take off at different yeah. points yeah. and then the runway happens to clear at the same time for right. both. And so, um, and so it's, it's a sort of a lucky, you know, like lucky accident that you have mm-hmm. two shows mm-hmm. in the same year. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was sort of wild going between both, but I actually feel like as different as they were, it was really helpful. Like, I feel like I, you know, I'm, I, this is very general to say, but I feel like I learned things on each show that I could then sure. apply to the other. Yeah. It also is like, it warms up your muscles. Like, you know, like d- doing a massive tech like Moulin Rouge before doing a tech like Beetlejuice in DC sure. means you're not like, you're like, okay, I know what scale this mm-hmm. is. I know how to organize the day. I know what, how many pages we can accomplish in an afternoon session and yeah, this and the other. Totally. And it just, it's just uh, like, as long as you can keep the stamina up, it's actually kind of great to do two things mm-hmm. at once. Yeah. Yeah. What's your, um, what's your favorite part of directing right now? Like what is, what is like inspiring you the most right now? Uh, do you mean like other the uh, work other people do, or like the part of the process, or like? I I'll take both, honestly. Um, you know, I think it's a really exciting time on Broadway right now mm-hmm. because I think so many people are uh, creating work that are really like pushing mm-hmm. boundaries. When you look at like uh-huh. what was on Broadway last yeah. season, I mean, it's in it plays. Uh, almost as much or more so than musicals it's really absolutely it's really extraordinary yeah and and cool and for someone like me who was like when i was like 23 i was like i don't know if there's a place for like me on broadway you know it's it's amazing that you you know more and more you're seeing like uh a real variety of work and and work that's really pushing the envelopes uh celebrated um so I think that's exciting. I think in terms of the creative process, I mean the thing I love the most again is it's like it's the it's the collaboration. It's the it's the working with uh, designers from the beginning of an idea, working with a group of actors. I love these world creation shows because it really uh, compels us all to get on the same exact tonal mm-hmm. page. I think that so many shows. Uh, like if you look at a show like Gentleman's Guide, I think one of the things that's yeah. extraordinary about that show is every single person working on that show is telling the same story. Mm-hmm. And I think there's like a thing that you know, if other you know, if the the composer really wants to be doing a slightly different thing than that actor, and that I think it probably would be very hard for the lay audience person to articulate that, mm-hmm. or me even as a theater person watching something, but. I think you feel it in your bones. And yeah. so the shows that work the best, I think, is when everyone's on the same journey. Yeah. yeah. I think we've seen, all seen a show where it's like, okay, the choreographer wasn't talking to the director and the director wasn't talking to the costumer. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's just like, we don't have a complete picture. And you might not be able to articulate it, but yeah. there's something you just that like, like rubs and just doesn't feel like sort of co- super coherent. And I, yeah. I think these shows, like uh, world creation shows, really require that and require a lot of thinking and uh and I think that what's what's a, a wonderful thing if you can be, if you have a group of people that trust each other enough is you make a lot of decisions early on because mm-hmm, you have to. Mm-hmm. And then to be flexible enough to say like, you know what? Uh, we're not going to kill the Girl Scout. That was like, <laughs> yeah, that, that was maybe, uh, maybe not for, uh, you yeah. know, like maybe not the best choice. So Yeah. No idea. You tried it. You had to try it, yeah. right? You to, to try it. Yeah. And, and it's wonderful when you have producers who are like, 
you know, we're not sure about this. Go for it. Okay. <laughs> you, you discovered it yourself. Yeah. yeah. We didn't need to point yeah. it out to you. That was fun, though. I did get to, like, eat a cookie every mm-hmm. performance <laughs> to, to signal her death. But, you know, whatever. You win some, you lose some, right? You got to kill the babies, as they say. Yeah. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. Well, Alex, as you know... I have a collection of merchandise, show merchandise. You certainly do. Every single day. And so now we're moving on to this week's edition of Merch Madness. All right, it's the finals. Now it's been Merch Madness Beetlejuice edition all month long, and we have our two final contenders for the crown, okay? That's going to be the names tea mm-hmm. and the socks. Okay. Now, they fought it out. They beat. For many weeks. For weeks and weeks and weeks. And now we've come to the final. Now, on my Instagram, the audience said that the names tea should win with 71% of the vote and the socks with 29. And at Equity One Podcast, same story. The names mm-hmm, tea with mm-hmm. 74% of the vote. The Sox with 26. And I have to say, after a long month, many battles, you know, the mug didn't make it. People thought it would, but it didn't. Cracked. The winner of Beetlejuice Merch Madness, the champion, is the names tea. Yep. Yeah. It's the best. It's from the beginning. It's my favorite piece of merchandise that we've had. Yeah. And it is just, it, you know, it. It it earned the title. I've so, been with it since day one. I thought it said you're, when you wrote it down. I thought it said Namaste. Yeah. So you did I'm put like a yoga yeah, emoji so with yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. But with, like, which very appropriate Namaste with our show. But the winner after many weeks is the name Steve. Thank you all for participating in the polls, and um, and yeah, that's that's the um, the long 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 month long edition. <sighs> Of merch madness. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Yeah. All right. Okay. Here's just really quick questions. Easy. Yes, no stress. Anything, yeah. Okay, um, must watch TV series right now. Oh, I've been watching Succession. I love Succession. I hear okay. it's very good. Yeah. Yes. Actually, now I'm on to watch That's like really Okay, really yeah. Good. Is that yeah. on HBO? What's up? Yeah, both okay. HBO. Both amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, favorite Thanksgiving side dish? Uh, I, I love cranberry sauce in a can. Oh. It's like... Yeah, <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> do you mash it down, or you just let it kind of like melt, or you like keep it in the uh, shape? I think for like you know for the, the propriety and so you gotta mash it down, but it's it tastes the same either way. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, 
Which is a bigger mood inspiration for you? We have a 70s disco ball or a Victorian chandelier? Ooh, that's a great question. So, when my girlfriend and I first started like uh, getting serious, the thing that I think got me the most cred with her uh, friends, group of friends, was I got her a disco ball and a light fixture and uh-huh. stuff. So. Uh, uh, it like holds a special place in the development of our relationship. So I'm gonna go with the disco ball. Oh, I yeah, love solid. it. Solid. I want to. Um, Beetlejuice is very like the mix of like Victorian chandelier and disco. It's got ball. Yeah, like, it's, it, it's, oh, it's basically got both. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like you have like Victorian chandeliers in a lot of your shows though. Like, was yeah, it? Yeah, you know, or, like aspects. Yeah, Blake and Andrew Jackson was chandeliered out as yeah. well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, a revival you would love to reimagine. Oh, uh, that's a great question. I'd love to do uh, a Rocky Horror at some point. Sure. Totally. Um, So you said you gave uh, restaurant reviews as a kid. Yes. So where is a must that you have to go when you're visiting New York? Oh, you know what I love? Like my favorite place in uh, Times Square is the EAK. I'm sure I'm totally butchering this. Ramen on 46th Street between 8th and 9th. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it on the corner on right Rush across from Moulin Rouge? No, it's like in the middle of the block uh, on 46th on the south side of the street. And you know, it's like it, it opened a couple oh, months yeah. ago and at least at the time, like people hadn't figured out that uh-huh. it was a place to go and so it was like always empty, always delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, I really recommend it. Okay. okay. Solid. Um, a vacation must visit destination. Oh, you know, Leslie Kritzer took my suggestion that, uh, and and I got it from the Lopez's, uh, Kristen and Bobby, mm-hmm. and that is Sedona, Arizona. It is like mm-hmm. the most beautiful, like the red it's rocks gorgeous. and everything. Uh, stars, just, probably, and everything. Oh my gosh, it feels like you're on a like in a, a different yeah. planet. That chapel and the rocks. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it's very like ghosty, like it's very spirity. Oh, yeah. And yeah. if you're not scared of heights, there are all these vortexes. But I'm scared of heights. I found out deeply halfway <laughs> up to a vortex and uh, hightailed my way back to. Uh, yeah, yeah. Not the time. Me. I well, I guess the perfect time to find out you're afraid is on the way up, not yeah. when you yeah. get yeah, there. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. Isn't it? You're not afraid of the height. You're afraid of falling, right? Yeah, I, I think so, <laughs> or is it, it's, at that point it was so much panic that. <laughs> I, you know. um, it's like horror movie that you mu- love watching this past. Do you like Halloween horror movies? Season. Oh, yeah, I Halloween. love horror movies. Okay, yeah. yeah, horror movies are the best. Um, you know, I love the original Suspiria. Uh, oh, sure. and, and do you know Broadway's Eric Anderson? He, uh-huh. he and I share that love of the original Suspiria. Dario Agenda, amazing. Uh-huh. Jessica Harper is the lead. Uh-huh. It's just, it's phenomenal. I actually yeah. just listened to a great podcast um, with Jessica Harper that I will pass along to you. She does like cooking shows and stuff. Now, she right? does, oh. she does. Yeah. And she was on an, an episode of Whimsically Volatile, which is the podcast that, um, that I listen to. So oh, I'll, I'll send that along to you. Solid. Okay, uh, last one is, I can't believe this is my job moment. Like a... You're in the moment, and you're like, wow, like, I can't believe I'm doing this. This is exciting. You know what? This is going to sound wild, but like about once every like month, I, I have this amazing associate director, Katie Davis, and we go do notes together. Uh, and when I see Carrie Butler on stage, I'm like, I can't believe I'm getting to work on a show with Carrie Butler. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds insane and probably <laughs> goofy, but I, she's like, uh, you know, she's amazing and like uh, someone whose work I've like really revered. And I'm like, wow, I'm getting to work with her. Mm-hmm. And I feel that way about everyone on Beetlejuice. But there's something particularly about like, it's Shelly from Bat Boy. And yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. And this and that, you know, yeah. through the whole CV. And it's, it's pretty exciting. 
I love it. Well, Alex, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us. Um, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is amazing. You can, of course, see Alex's shows on Broadway, American Utopia at the Hudson. Is that right? Hudson, yeah. Uh, Moulin Rouge, if you can get a ticket at the Al Hirschfeld. <laughs> and, of course, Beetlejuice at the Winter Garden. Um, Alex, where could people follow you on social media if they'd like to? Uh, I'm on Instagram at Alex Timbers. Yeah. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find the podcast at Equity One Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And at Equity One underscore on Twitter. And you can send us an email at Equity One Podcast at gmail.com. And also check us out at the Broadway Podcast Network. Yes, where you can listen to Carrie Butler's podcast if uh, you'd exactly. like to, or a melange of other ones. Um, and also, please leave us a five star rating and review on iTunes. It helps us more than you know. So thank you for our Caleb and my birthday month. Leave us a, leave us a rating and review. Um, Caleb, where can people find you? Caleb Dickey on everything. How about you, Elliot? I'm at Elliot Maddox on everything, and until next time, cheers! Mama, won't you send us Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.